0: Y'all doing all right? All right, fired up. It's good to be together. Um, Lots of new faces. Just wanted to mention in our next room, if this is your first, second, third Sunday, you would still consider yourself a visitor or a guest or you're checking things out. If you pop into the next room, we actually have a gift for you. We got a couple of books. You can take your pick of which one you want. But honestly, our heart, um, just kind of as we came out of that time of worshiping together, our heart as a church is really, really simple. And it's that Jesus is really good, he's powerful, he is who he says he is, and that when we meet and encounter the real Jesus, things change. And so the key to all of life is actually really simple, get to know Jesus. And as we get to know Jesus, he changes us. That's the beautiful thing, right? You hang around somebody, you're, maybe you're a really grumpy person. You hang around somebody that's really thankful. And maybe over time, you, you, it rubs off and you become a little bit more thankful, right? You're a real cynical person. You hang out with somebody who's really hopeful. Maybe over time, you start looking at the world a little bit differently. Well, Jesus is the perfection of humanity. He's the most hopeful, faithful, gracious, kind, perfect person that's ever walked the earth. And when we get to know him, guess what? we change. That's the great hope of the gospel is that it's through knowing Jesus. So if you are a first-time guest you're visiting, pop in here. We got a a book as a gift. If you never come back, we believe it would be a deposit in your getting to know Jesus, your walk with Jesus. Cool? Um, Like Arlena said, my name's Chris is my beautiful wife, by the way. We have five little kids. We moved here from Texas. I met a brand new brother from Texas, just uh, on the way in the door here. We moved here from Texas last summer with a dream in our hearts, an invitation from God to Salt Lake City, Utah, of all places, and really a simple dream in our hearts to be a part of a family, a kingdom family, sometimes we call a house of God, because family lives in a House and the New Testament uh, description of the church is actually the household of God. We wanted to be a part of a kingdom family, a house of God um, that was regularly getting to see heaven come to earth, as we just talked about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're here, we're, uh, we're about nine months in, we just crossed the nine month mark as, as our, with our little kids in tow, and we are excited to be here, and we're excited, and we've been here in the last several weeks together as a church family, we've been in this season called Those Who Dream. Can you say that with me? Those who dream. And I want to kick off our message today a little bit differently. I'm going to take us back 60 years, all right? 20 years before I was born, so you engineers can figure out uh, my age here. I'm going to take us back 60 years, September 12th, 1962. A now famous speech by President JFK, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, happened actually in my hometown of Houston, Texas at Rice University. And it was when JFK basically got up and charted the course a dream for a nation that by the end of the decade of the 60s, we would put a man on the moon. I want to read a a little excerpt from from this as we kind of continue journeying here through this season. We've been calling those who dream. Check it out. He says this, no man can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. He's talking about the technological and industrial advancements that we had seen around the 40s, 50s, and 60s in the United States. And so what he does in this speech is he says, I want you to go with me here. I'm gonna convince the last 50,000 years of human history, of known recorded history, I'm gonna condense it into 50 years, okay? So that's the scale. This is how he starts his speech. He says, so on that scale, condensing 50,000 years, into 50. He says stated in these terms, we actually know very little about the first 40 years, except that at the end of them advanced man had learned to use the skins of animal to cover themselves. Then about 10 years ago under this standard, man emerged from his caves to construct other kinds of shelter. Only 5 years ago man learned to write and use a cart with wheels. Christianity began about two years ago, the printing press came this year, and then less than two months ago, during this whole 50-year span of human history, the steam engine provided a new source of power. Newton explored the meaning of gravity. Last month, electric lights and telephones and automobiles and airplanes became available. Only last week did we develop penicillin and television and nuclear power. And now, if America's new spacecraft succeeds in reaching Venus, we will have literally touched the stars before midnight tonight. This is a breathtaking pace, he said. And such a pace cannot help but create new ills as it dispels old, new ignorance, new problems, new dangers. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships as well as high reward. So it is not surprising, this is still JFK, that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait. Now, of course, calling Houston my hometown. I really love this next part. He says, but this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward, and so will space. He then goes on to Quote, William Bradford, who founded the Plymouth Bay Colony in 1630, he said, with all great and honorable actions are, they are accompanied with great difficulties, and they Both must be enterprised and overcome with answerable courage. So check this out. What I saw in this speech, it was just on my heart to go and look at JFK in 62, said, we're going to put a man on the moon and we're going to do it by the end of this decade. A bold move for a president to put a dream before a people, to cast a vision of something that was thought to be impossible. The things that had to be overcome in that short span of eight years, the technological advancement advancements, the engineering advancements, all kinds of stuff that we didn't even know about space. But he set a vision before the people. He set a dream before the people and he called people forward. And he did so by acknowledging that high costs always have to be met by high courage. Yeah. That high costs always have to be answered with high sacrifice. I'm going to read more of his speech later. It's a beautiful speech. It actually ends just a little. I'm just you know, setting you up for later. It's really sad to me how the speech ends, and we'll get there at the end of the message, right? But it's a beautiful speech that highlights a beautiful dream and an invitation forward for the American people. And over the last six weeks, as a church family, we've been invited forward, If you've been here, maybe you've been here a couple weeks, missed a couple weeks, maybe this is your first Sunday, and you're like, what is this guy talking about? Is this a church or like a history class, you know? Look, but we've been sensing an invitation forward. How many of you would just wave at me if the last couple years have been a little rocky for you, right? Just wave at me if the last couple years have tested your faith, have tested your hope, right? It's been a shaking time. It's been a shaking time to live on planet Earth. But the Bible says that we have received a kingdom if you know it, say it with me, that cannot be shaken. So even as the world shakes around us as the people of God and as the house of God, we get to lean in and say, the world might be shaking, but God is moving. God is shouting. And God's heart for people to know him, to, to learn about his grace, God's heart for people to come to new life in Jesus It is at at much, as much on the move right now in the midst of the shaking as it has ever been. And so we have been praying for the last several weeks, Lord, dream your dreams through us. As a church community, we're saying, hey, the world might be shaking, but we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So here we are in Salt Lake City. God, what do you wanna do in Salt Lake City through the people of God that are saying, we've got a kingdom that can't be shaken? And we're opening our hearts and saying, "Look, we know we all have dreams for your life. I don't know what yours is right now. Maybe it's just to make it through the, the 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 warm weather today. You know, we got to dream a little bit bigger than that. Maybe it's just maybe it's to finish college. Maybe it's to find your spouse. I don't know what your big dream is. Maybe it's that next promotion. Maybe it's that next big break for your career. I don't know. We all have dreams, but it's a, it's a powerful thing when the people of God say." But what are your dreams, God? What are you dreaming about right now? It's a beautiful thing when when for a moment, as the children of God, we say, hey, Lord, I am going to set my dreams over here for a second, and I'm going to go, what's your dream? What's your dream? And so that's what we've been leaning into. And we started last week, we looked at these two sisters in the Bible Mary and Martha. Raise your hand if you've heard the story of these two ladies, or you've just heard their names mentioned before. Mary and Martha were these two sisters. They had a brother named Lazarus. He'll come in here in a minute. But we started last week. I said last week was Mary's week, and this week is Martha's. So we're, we're going to step back into this story, because with any great vision, any great dream, just like JFK putting before the American people, high costs always are met with high courage and high sacrifice. And we're gonna take a look and continue here in this conversation looking at the story. So if you got your Bible, flip to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, here it is on the screen as well. We're gonna pick it up kind of where we left off last week. It says that as they went on their way, this is speaking of Jesus and his students, his disciples, they entered a village And there was a woman named Martha. She welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So much so she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and help me. This is classic. I love these two sisters. Hilarious. But the Lord answered her. He said, Martha, Martha you are anxious and you are troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Last week, we sat, literally, we sat with Mary, and we said that in any season of dreaming, it is important that we do not let our focus drift to the dreams themselves. You guys remember this? Y'all here last week? But we keep our eyes fixed on the giver of the dreams. We talked about how important it is as a community that we double down to this to Mary's good portion. That as a people we're committed just sitting at the Lord's feet. I talked about the most important thing in life is that we get to know Jesus. We sit at his feet and we learn, we listen to his teaching. So we sat there with Mary last week saying, let's make sure that we're sitting before we're serving. But I think Martha gets a bad rap. And I think this story is told in a way, have you ever felt this way where it's like, Martha needs to be more like Mary, you know? Have you ever thought that? I always feel like Martha kind of gets a bad rap. But if you look at this passage, Jesus doesn't actually address the inclination of her heart to serve. He just addresses the anxiety and the trouble that is underneath her serving, right? He addresses the unsanctified version of what is a beautiful character trait, her desire to serve. She welcomed him into her house, right? It's a beautiful thing. But he, he, he addressed the unhealthy part of her serving. But I believe that as Martha got to know Jesus in the weeks and the years that followed, this was their first interaction, they became dear friends of Jesus, I, stop here for a second. There's always a moment in life, I believe for all of us, where Jesus comes into our house, maybe unexpected, and there's a moment where he, he points out the anxiety or the trouble or the something that's going on in us. And, and there's an invitation to come and be his friend, to come and learn from him. And this was their first interaction with Jesus. And these two ladies, they actually became dear, dear friends of Jesus, followed him throughout the course of his, the next three years of his ministry. And the famous Lazarus miracle, if, you're, if you've read the Bible or, or, or not before, there's this famous first resurrection was Lazarus. He was their brother. And so these ladies, this family was at the center of a lot of what was happening around Jesus's life. And it just kinda of makes me wanna stop and go, man, have you accepted Jesus' invitation to be his friend? Yeah. Have you stopped and whatever he's maybe pointed out in your world and in your life? Like, have you, have, you, have you ever taken him up on the invitation to get to know him? Because what happens later in the story, I wanna show you here. Later on in the Gospels, let's go to John 12. Now I told you their brother Lazarus gets resurrected. After he gets resurrected, Jesus is coming back through the town again. Now don't you think he's probably a pretty big deal at this point, right? He resurrected a guy, right? So now Martha and Mary here are inviting Jesus into their house a second time for a dinner party. Check it out. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany again, where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and check it out. Read it with me. Martha served. Why does the scripture go out of its way to tell us that Martha was still serving? There's no correction in this story from Jesus Do you see what I'm saying? Martha's still serving, but this time she's serving on the other side of a resurrection. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And look what happens at this dinner party that is paid for by who knows, I don't know who paid for it, but somebody paid for the meal. Okay, we know Martha and probably some others prepared and are serving the meal. And at this dinner party, Mary then enters in. She takes this pound of expensive ointment, like a perfume. Some scriptures say this was an entire year's worth of wages. So in equivalent U.S. dollars today, on average, that'd probably be about forty-five dollars or $50,000 that she brings. And she anoints the feet of Jesus. She comes to the feet of Jesus, interrupts this dinner party with this incredibly... Probably embarrassing, extravagant, and costly demonstration of worship. She pours $50,000, a year's worth of wages, pours it out on Jesus' feet. And don't miss this. It wasn't just a Mary and Jesus encounter that was happening, the entire house was filled with the fragrance of what had just happened. It might have been Mary that was bringing the offering, but it led to an encounter for the whole house. So I want you to see some, something incredibly beautiful here. Number one, Martha's serving was sanctified on the other side of a resurrection. I don't know why, but it told us, it went out of the way to say, the heart to serve is a beautiful thing, but there's a way to do it in the resurrection life and not from a place of anxiety, not from a place of striving or trouble or trying to prove something, right? She's still serving. It just needed to go through the resurrection and get sanctified. Are you with me? She's still Serving. And last week, I actually asked you guys to raise your hand. Okay. I said, Hey, if you identify more with Mary and it's easy for you to sit and be quiet, raise your hand. I just want to do it again because a lot of y'all weren't here last week. But if you're more like Mary, it's easy for you to sit and be still and be quiet. I want you to throw your hand up in the air. If just you're naturally more wired to sit, look around the room. Okay. There's about eight of y'all. All right. Maybe 10. Now raise your hand if you're like me and you're much it's much more natural for you to get up, clean the house, serve, be productive. I can't even preach without moving around this carpet, all I'm so restless and anxious, right? In my unsanctified state, right? But hey, it's a beautiful thing when we encounter the resurrection life of Jesus and it gets sanctified. Jesus isn't asking Martha to be more like Mary. He's just telling her, hey, we need to learn how to sit at the feet of Jesus with him before we get up and go try to do things for him. We have to stay rooted both in the sitting with Mary and the serving with Martha. And here's why because in this story at this dinner party we see a beautiful holy intersection of three of our blueprint values what Arlena shared every house is built off of a blueprint and we just felt a conviction to to lay out and define this is what we're building this house here in Salt Lake City, this is what we're building it off of. Workers show up to construction site and they don't just get creative and start doing whatever they wanna do. They go to the blueprints and they go, oh, we're building that wall today, right? I believe God's house is the same way. We don't come in here and say, cool, what do I want God's house to look like? We say, God, what do you want your house to look like? And we pick up whatever our portion is and we build that together, right? You can see all of our blueprint values on our website. Um, You can stop by, learn more about them in the next room, but there's three of them that intersect in this story. Track with me here. We see generosity, we see serving, and we see encounter. Check this out somebody generously paid for this meal. I doubt they were selling tickets at the door, right? I doubt they were charging people to come at this dinner, right? Somebody generously gave for us to rent this space in downtown Salt Lake City that many of you who've never given a dime to this community, just because you're new, have walked right into a place that somebody else generously provided for. We didn't charge you to come in here and encounter God, right? So generosity intersected with service, right? We see Martha. She prepares this meal. Probably with great love in her heart, Jesus resurrected her brother. She was probably so excited and so joyful to get to host a dinner party for Jesus, right? So generosity intersected with service and the table of encounter, was set. In other accounts of this scripture, there were religious leaders in the room that were very much not a fan of Jesus. Pharisees were a part of this dinner. The religious people were looking down on Mary's extravagant display of worship with the perfume, and they were actually judging her. Not just the religious people. Check this out. Oh, this is gonna, this might hit somebody. Jesus' own friends. Some of his own disciples, were going, what a waste. What a waste. Oh, we could have sold that and taken care of the poor. Oh, please don't be a friend of Jesus and show up and judge somebody else's extravagant display of worship. That is the quickest way to ruin your own encounter with God is to judge somebody else's. And so this What I'm saying is there there was an intersection between generosity, serving, and it set a table for people to encounter God. Our blueprint value of encounter says this, through Jesus, the door is wide open for us to meet with God. As we choose to draw near, we get to know him personally and experience him powerfully. Transformation is the byproduct of his presence. When we get to know Jesus, it transforms us. Religion says work really, really hard to change yourself to try to be a little bit better so that God will accept you. Jesus says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous, not even one. Let's get this scripture up here. This is Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You ever heard like, oh, he's a really good guy, but da-da. No, no, no. Nobody's a really good guy left to themselves, By nature, none of us are righteous. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from religion, apart from works, apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Check it out. Religion says, try really, really hard to make yourself better and God might accept you. The gospel says no one is good, and no matter how hard you try, you will never become good enough. So give up and come crawling to the throne of God's mercy, where through Jesus, he will give you righteousness through faith. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why religion kills and stifles and why the religious leaders were sitting at this dinner party because the religion can never produce an extravagant display of worship like we saw Mary do. And I want to tell you, you may have been in church for a long time and you still need to hear this because I've been following Jesus for 20 years and the number one threat to my walk with God right now 20 years in is not that I'm going to go look at pornography and pick up a prostitute. I'm beyond that. That's not like a struggle for me. The number one threat to my friendship with God right now is that I go back to a religious mindset that says, if I just do a little bit more, I can be better and God will love me. And I actually remove myself from the grace of of God. And I start looking to myself again for my own righteousness. And the scripture says, none... None. Romans 1, 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who what? Believes. Believes. And this is where it all hangs on. For in, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want you to say that with me. The righteous shall live by faith. One more time. The righteous shall live by faith. It's to everyone who believes. This is the gospel. This is the beauty of what Mary and Martha experienced. Jesus rescues us from our anxiety, our striving, our brokenness, our sin, whatever it is. He restores us so that we can be ambassadors of hope with him, ambassadors of freedom with him. He he pulls us in to be wounded healers, servants of this kingdom that we've been brought into now through generosity and through serving. We get to set a table with Jesus for other people to come and encounter it as well. This is the beauty of the gospel. The broken become the healers. The lost become those who welcome others home. The addicts become agents of freedom. The impure and the insecure get a new name with no shame. This is the gospel. The sinner becomes a saint. The dead walk out of their graves for the friend of the sinners came to save and his blood still makes a way. Come on, Titus, some poetry. My brother over here, this is 27th birthday today. All right, I'm I just got to shout you down. Titus is a dear friend. God has been transforming his life. He's also a poet, if you didn't know it. And so I threw a little, <laughs> little poetry in the message today for you, bro, all right? So listen, this is the gospel, though. This is the grace of God. Religion can never accomplish What the grace of God, freely given, says we believe and he makes us righteous. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And here's what the gospel does. The gospel frees us just like it did Mary and Martha, I believe. It frees us to stop all of our Self-improvement, striving stuff, our distraction with much serving. It frees us from all of that so that we can join Jesus in throwing dinner parties where other people get to encounter him. Do you see what I'm saying? It welcomes us in through generosity and through serving to set the table of encounter. And other people then get to enter in. Some of y'all walked in here at 4 o'clock today. A lot of y'all walked in at 4.05 today. Some of y'all walked in at 4.30 today. I don't know. But there's about 25 people that got here at 1.30 today. You know why? Because they believe that their serving plus the generosity of people that are providing for this meal is setting a table for other people to walk in off the streets and encounter Jesus. And it's their joy to do it. They don't get paid, most of them, a couple of them are on our staff, but most of them are not getting paid. They're here serving because they've encountered a resurrection and they wanna set the table of encounter for other people. Now, can you imagine, and, and this is not a correction as it is just an, an encouragement for our church family. If this is your first time here, this is not directed at you at all, all right? But our team asked if I would gently encourage us today. Just imagine Mary and Martha. Imagine Martha has been working all day long for this dinner party that was going to be at her house. Let's just say it was supposed to start at four o'clock. And so she had planned and coordinated all day long for this dinner to happen. Jesus was going to be there. And it was her joy and her love. Somebody had paid for the meal. She had served the meal. She knew, I got to have it ready and hot for Jesus at four o'clock. And his friends... And can you imagine somebody walks in at 410, somebody walks in at 415, here's a couple things, again, this is not condemnation, this is encouragement, because a couple things happen. Jesus is at the table at four o'clock, because the people in their generosity and in their serving had been laying down their lives and setting a table for him before even you. And so Jesus is there at four o'clock. And the party is starting at four o'clock. And you know, if you've walked into a dinner party 15 minutes late before, you are playing catch up the whole time. You feel out of the, you know what I'm saying? You feel out of the loop. Like, oh, there's been like 15 minutes of conversation, right? Now imagine though, then if you sit down and your like plate of food is cold because Martha said dinner was starting at four (laughs) o'clock. right? And then somebody even would sit there and complain that their plate is cold, you know? It's like, whoa. It's <laughs> because this thing started 15 minutes ago. You're playing ketchup. Jesus probably didn't have a microwave for them, you know? It's like, if you weren't there when dinner started, you got a cold meal, you know? And so I, I'm, I'm being playful, but it does actually matter, church, that we're showing up for the encounter when the encounter is supposed to start. Again, church family, we have 90 minutes a week We have 90 minutes a week to get together and go after God. And a lot of people are serving and are giving to make that thing happen. Can we get here at 4 o'clock? Church family, can we get here at 4 o'clock? Okay, cool. That's just a little side note. But do you still see the, the beauty of what's happening though, right? Generosity and service making a way for encounter. And so this is what happens on the other side of resurrection. Part of the new identity that we get is the identity of a servant. 1 Corinthians 4 says it like this. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Matthew twenty-five, fourteen and fifteen, Jesus tells this story, a parable. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his what? Servants, and he entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went away. In this story, it's called the parable of the talents, Jesus entrusts his property to faithful stewards. He then goes away for a time, and when he returns, he comes back to these servants, these stewards, and he says, hey, I gave you five talents. What did you do with it while I was gone? And the guy with five talents says, well, I invested it, and here's the five that you gave me plus five more. And the guy said, well, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Another guy, I took the two talents you gave me and I invested and I made two talents more. And it's this beautiful parable about taking whatever amount Jesus has given us according to, to our ability and being faithful. That's it. And so... Part of this season for us is a new invitation to lean into the servant's heart that we see here in Martha on the other side of the resurrection. Some of you don't need this encouragement. Like I said, some of you, and we've got an incredible core group of people that are serving week in and week out, and it's not because they want me to stand up here and say, hey, great job, James. Taylor, Josiah, smashing the drums, man. They don't, want, they don't want an accolade. Just like Martha, they've encountered the resurrection life, and they're serving because they love Jesus, and they want to set a table for other people to meet him. Yeah. But this blueprint value of serve, I want to I define this for us. It says that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. We reject a consumer church mentality, and we believe that the greatest in the kingdom are those who lay down their lives say the last part with me, for others. This is the identity that we get to step into on the other side. This is what we get to learn from Martha is we get to learn how to serve. And we believe, stay with me here, we got about 14 minutes left, all right? We believe that for this church in Salt Lake City, Utah, that God is entrusting property to us He is entrusting resources to us. He is entrusting dreams to us. And it says in the scripture I read a second ago that servants, the most important thing about servants is that we are found to be faithful. And so, our number one desire as a church family and as a church body is to say, God, what have you given to us? What are your dreams? And how can we be faithful? how can we lay down our lives to set the table for other people to encounter Jesus? And if you're a, if you're a believer, son or daughter of God, and you're looking for your purpose in life and some other great pursuit, really there's nothing that compares to getting to, to be a part of that. There's nothing that compares to being able to give your life for other, to see other people encounter what we have encountered in Jesus. And so, I want us to know that in this season of dreaming, our staff team, our leadership team, called our pastoral leadership team, we are leaning in and we are asking God on behalf of our city, we are saying, God, how can we serve the broken places of Salt Lake? And this season of dreaming and this season of moving forward has been a season of saying, as the world is shaking, we are, we are to be regarded as servants, Lord, in this city. We are to be regarded as servants in our neighborhood. We're to be regarded as servants in our workplaces. And it's an invitation as a church family to learn from Martha and say, yeah, we're, we are going to be like Mary. We're going to be a people that sit and learn from Jesus. But then we're going to be like Martha and we're going to get out there and get busy serving the city, serving the dreams that are in God's heart. And so that's what this season is for us. It's not, it's, it's, it's very defined and I want to pull you into as we are asking these questions and as, we are, as we're thinking about how can we serve this city in its broken places, God is clarifying and defining some of those dreams for us. Do you want to know what they are? Yes. <clears throat> One of the dreams that we have felt, and I'm going to throw a, we'll throw the graphic up here at the very end, so just hang up with me, Taylor, for a sec. Um, there's four dreams that we have sensed as we prayed and as we're seeking the Lord, we sense an invitation for our church family to serve the broken places of our city. There's four areas that I'm going to walk through here. And the first one is, we, we're calling it, we're serving the least, That's not a derogatory term, that is just what Jesus used for those that are down and out and broken, those that are experiencing homelessness, those that have nothing else. It's what, it's who the world looks at and says, those are the lowest and the least. Jesus says, those are the closest to my kingdom. And we believe that God has us in Salt Lake City, a city that is plagued with homelessness, for a reason. We could probably get a much cheaper space for 150 of us to meet 20 miles south of here, but we don't want to be 20 miles south of the city. We want to be in Salt Lake City because God's heart for the least, we believe he's entrusting that property to us here. And so we have dreams And I want to share a little bit. I I didn't know if he was going to be here today, but some of you guys may have met James, okay? So James is my brother. Wave at us, James, okay? And his precious wife, Sherry. And I'm not calling, this is not to to call them out, but to simply to share God's heart for the people in this city that do not have it like you and I have it when we go and lay our head on our pillow at night. James and Sherry camped out in a tent on... The north side of this building, I don't know, for about a year, at least six months when I got here, literally him and his wife Sherry lived in a tent, a lean-to that they constructed on the side of this building. His first interaction with a lot of our community was that a lot of our college students, after college nights, would bring food to their tent. Swayze would drop off food. People, so many people would just bring them food and just love them in the small ways that are really big ways, I think James would say to him and Sherry. And as the time went on and the months went on, James and I struck up a friendship because I park in his front yard pretty much every day. And we struck up a friendship and we come to find out that they were being asked to move, and their lean-to home, they were being asked to leave, and they didn't have a place to go. And I said, well, James, I've got a truck. I'll bring it back tonight. We're having a worship night up here, and after the worship night, I'll throw your stuff in my truck, and we'll go find somewhere. We'll, our church family, there's no reason that you can't, we can't find you somewhere. We'll, we'll take care of it. So I come back that night, and we're up here worshiping and James comes back up here because he's waiting for me and there's I don't know probably 30 40 people in the room just worshiping and praying that night and James are you okay if I share this part so James walks up into the room and encounters the love and the presence of God in this room of 30 people worshiping and James tells me on the drive later, he said, it is, I think he said something like, it's been 25 years since I felt the presence of the Lord in my life. And God began a work in James and Sherry that is continuing on to this day. And as a church family, if you have ever given a dime or a dollar to this family, I want you to know that you're a part of their story. Because over the last few months, resources from our house not with some agenda, not trying to, to toot our own horn, simply loving the people that God has literally put on our doorstep. We were able to walk alongside James and Sherry. They've been off the streets for three months now. Listen, and this, and, and you helped pay for their rent over the last few months if you give money here. They've continued to come. They're a part of this family. Now, my kids now come up to them every Sunday and ask for candy. They're like grandma and grandpa, right? They've become a part of the family. If you've gotten to know them, it's precious what God is doing. And, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. <clears throat> James got his Social Security check last week, and he calls me, and he said, Chris, First thing I did was I went down to the front desk of the, this, they're in an extended stay, the hotel right now. He said, first thing I did was I went down and I paid for another month by myself. Okay. When's the last, I, I don't know, but all I know is that James and Sherry are paying for their own housing now for, a long, for the first time in a long time. And God's presence is working in their lives. He's hobbling up to church last Sunday. Blake puts, lays hands on his feet. He's got a leg injury. He comes up the next day. He's wearing two shoes all the day. He's like, I'm walking perfectly fine. God's healing. He's doing things in their life. Now, James would have gotten up here and said all that. He's asked me to, actually. He's asked me. God, I want to get up and testify, you know. But I share that because, as a, as a snapshot, God's heart is further down and out in this city. And we want to come alongside and say, we are people, we are servants and stewards of God's property. And so we have dreams to say, God, what, what would it look like for us to see, I don't know, five more people? What, what would it look like for us to walk alongside five more people this year and help them transition into a more stable place? That is a dream on God's heart. We're saying, how can we serve it? And so we believe, we have a, there's a dollar amount, and this, where this is going, a lot of you guys know, is next Sunday is City of Dreams, where we have told you, if you're a part of this church family, we're inviting you to pray and say, God, how much are you asking me to give to dreams? Because just like JFK's vision to go to the moon, high cost requires high sacrifice. And here's what I want to say to his church family. This is, this is... Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart will be. This is not about money as much as it's about our hearts beating for what God's heart beats for. And money is simply a tool that when we say God... Remember we talked about your dreams versus God's dreams? Okay money is simply a tool that when we say, I could invest more of my, my money in my dreams, but Lord, what are your dreams and what would it look like for me to invest in your dreams? And that's what City of Dreams is about next Sunday. We're saying, if this is your church family, and I just wanna say it very honestly and openly, we have dreams that our current resources cannot cover. Serving the least in our city is one of those dreams. Are you with me? A second one of those dreams, I'm calling it serving the you, all right? The University of Utah we got 30,000 college students that call this city home, and we believe that there's an invitation, not just an invitation, but an obligation for our church to be engaged with this next generation of college students. If you guys know Swayze and Hallie Yancey, they have been volunteering in our college ministry for the past year, and have been doing an incredible job. They have laid a beautiful foundation. Give it up for these guys, seriously. Incredible. (laughs) Swayze doesn't get paid a dime. He he works a full-time job. They literally don't get paid a dollar, and they are doing it in the little time they have left over at the end of their jobs because they love God, and they want to set a table for people to encounter him. Okay, you see that? You see how this is all connecting? All right. So, But as we have dreamed with the Lord, we have, and Swayze knows all this, they're fully supporting, but we have in our hearts said, Lord, what would it look like for us to be able to support in our church a full-time college pastor to engage with the campus at the U, to be consistently available to engage with the generation that's right here? There are literally college students from all over the world. It is harder to be in college than ever before. And there is a deep need and a lot of questions and the world is shaking and God is moving and we believe there's a dream on God's heart for us to serve the University of Utah. And we actually have been in conversations with a guy who we believe is a perfect fit to be a college pastor here at Antioch Salt Lake and to restart our discipleship school. If you guys have been a part of Antioch, the Antioch Discipleship School is a nine-month training discipleship program to learn how to follow Jesus, become a student of Christ. We want to start our discipleship school back up in the fall. We want to hire, this guy can do both, and we are ready to offer him the job We just can't pay him. (laughs) And so our leadership team, though, the five men that are on PLT, we believe God has said we trust in what God says more than we can see. And so we're saying, if you said it, you're going to pay for it, God. And so we are going, he doesn't know this yet. I hope he doesn't podcast this, okay? We're, We're going to offer him the job. And we're going to believe that if it's God's dream, God will pay for it. And that this church body in this city can say, Lord, maybe your dream to reach students at the U is more important than this dream of mine that I've been maybe saving up for. What if I, what if I put my treasure and my heart towards your dream over mine? So serving the least, serving the U, and then Serving our kids. If you have kids and you've gone back into our space, that's Olivia, our call, our uh, kids director back there. We, we all wave at Olivia. She's amazing. Um, serving our kids. So um, we, God has entrusted us with a disproportionate amount of children in this church. It's amazing. All right, we've got like 100 people in here and like 40 or 50 kids back there. And if you've been back there I'm just going to be honest, it's kind of embarrassing, okay? Like, there's like a pipe and drape setup. The guys that serve in Kingdom Kids, they're like the heroes of this community. Because right now, it's not a great setup for success. And so we're going, okay, Lord, you've given us this space We want to build some walls with the kids. We want to build some walls back there to create classrooms where we can actually set the table through generosity and through serving for our kids to encounter Jesus. It is not childcare what we're doing back there. It is our little kids are encountering God's heart in a way that if we could turn back the clock, I bet we wished at five, six, seven, eight, ten years old, somebody would have encountered us with Jesus in that way. And so we want to serve our kids. And then the fourth thing is we want to serve the sound. There have been prophetic words over this region for years that a new song, a new sound of worship was going to come up and out of the soil of Utah. And so when we inherited this space, we hired a second worship director, Swayze's wife, Hallie. Matt is now full-time running after. He's part-time, but his full part-time job is, I realized when I said that last time, is running after stirring up a new song recording. We literally inherited a recording studio. It's about 75 feet that way. You can go walk through it. If music is your thing, worship is your thing. Join our worship team. Join our production team. We are right now actively producing three songs that were written in this church family, in this church body that are coming up from the soil of Utah. We want to serve the sound. And so those are the four dreams that we're going to ask this family to pray about giving to next Sunday. And I want to throw this slide up in a second and show you, so you have an idea of actual like dollar figure as we've done the legwork and looked at some of these things. I want you to see, again, high dreams, high vision have a high cost that can be met with high sacrifice, And it's an invitation, it's not about our money as much as it is about our hearts. Thank you for coming up, Matthew, I was about to invite you And so here's the the breakdown of those four dreams, okay? Serving the least, $25,000 would enable us to have set up a fund that is sitting there and is ready to walk with people as they transition off the streets into more stable, permanent living. The serving the youth, $60,000, I'll just tell you, that is straight up the salary that we are gonna offer the college pastor. He doesn't know that yet either. So if you know him, don't tell him, all right? But that's like, that's what we wanna offer him. We, we believe the Bible says the worker is worthy of his wages. And so if we're gonna bring a guy here and put him on our team and say, go get the college students and help disciple our church, that he's worthy to be paid from us. And so that's his salary. Serving the kids is to build out that whole space back there with walls for five or six classrooms and be able to set the table for our kids to encounter God and then serving the sound as a little bit of money for us to master and release some music as a church family. Now, it comes out to this total number of $120,000, which is a really special number if you're a student of the Bible. We didn't do this on purpose. It just kind of landed that way. But we have felt in a long, for, for a long time here that it doesn't actually, you, you don't actually need thousands of people to shake a city with the good news of Jesus. In the upper room in the book of Acts, there were 120 when the Holy Spirit came. There were 120 people that were gathered together in worship, giving their heart to the dreams of God because Jesus said, wait, and I'm gonna send a helper. 120 people and Shannon came to me a couple weeks ago she's our connections director if you want to get connected with the life group serving anything like that she said hey I updated our database of all of our people like regular attenders people that tithe people that serve and I was so encouraged because to a number right now the people that call this church home it is exactly 120 people and I was like all right I'm fired up because God has done a lot historically with just 120 people, all right? So you might be looking around this room and being like, $120,000, do you know how many empty seats you have in this upper room right now? Yes, I can see all of them better than you can, and I don't care. You know why? Because our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Our God is the God that took a little boy's sack lunch of three pieces of bread and two fish, said, thank you, God, for what you have given us. And 5,000 men were fed. I believe in a God that can take whatever we bring to him, multiply it. After they fed the 5,000, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers because a little boy brought what he had. And you can do the math. 120 people, $120,000. Okay, Uh, look, bring what you have. Bring what you have. Oh, man. All right, y'all want to hear the sad part of JFK's speech now? I told you I was going to tell you. Okay, we, we got to land it here, okay? So listen, all great communicators or leading an organization they say the most important thing to a vision is your why you heard that you've got to know your why why are you doing this okay and so the, the saddest thing was look I'm not trying to make a statement here okay like JFK was great okay uh, what a visionary right to, to call our nation to forward we put a man on the moon by the end of the 60s okay but at the end of this speech he gives us why And this is the part that kind of made me sad. I was like, man. He said this. He said, I think we're going to do it. And I think that we must pay what needs to be paid. I don't think we ought to waste any money, but I think we ought to do the job. And this will be done in the decade of the 60s. He declared, we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. And then he said, he said, many years ago, the great, British explorer George Mallory who was to die on Mount Everest he was asked why why did he want to climb it and he said because it is there Well, space is there and we're gonna climb it and the moon and the planets are there and new hopes for knowledge and peace are there and therefore as we set sail we ask God's blessings on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Now maybe you read that differently than me but I'm like your why for going to the moon is because it's there? Okay, look, stand up, stand up. Because I wanna tell you our why. I wanna tell you our why. I wanna tell you why Arlena and I are looking at our savings account and we're saying, how much, God? And all the families on the PLT, I want you to know we're going first in this. We're already looking at our own personal finances, going, God, where our treasure is, our heart will go. There's nothing our heart wants more than to see your kingdom come in this valley. We're all looking at our personal finances, going, how much? And here's our why, here's why. Not because those struggling with homelessness, they're there, okay? not because the you is there okay not because our kids are just there and they're kind of we need to kind of make it a little bit more comfortable while they're there right like, are you with me we're not just doing it because it's there We're doing it because like Mary and Martha, we have tasted and seen a very real resurrection life and there is nothing more that we want than to see other people taste of the same. We are doing it because like Mary and Martha, we believe that Jesus is is worth the serving and the sacrifice to set the table of encounter for other people. That's why we're doing it. That's why we're doing it. The Apostle Paul said, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth, than to see other people encounter the truth, the reality, the love, the grace of the resurrection life through Jesus so look, if this is your first time here, I need you to just know you've stepped in to the culmination of a tail and You're like, wow, man, $120,000? Wow, these guys are asking for a lot of money. Hey, if you're, if God's nudging your heart, jump into the story. It's all online. You can watch and listen to the videos, but you're stepping into something that is a family we've been building towards. You with me? It's your first Sunday here. You're stepping into a, a family that's we're going forward. We're going after some dreams together. And so all we're going to do to respond is we're just going to, we're just going to, in whatever way it looks like for for each of us, we're just going to give our hearts to God. We're just going to say, Lord, you're worth it. You're worth the sacrifice. You're worth the serving. And so we give you our lives. We put them on the altar. We bring you what we have, Jesus. And we know that when we bring you what we have, you always Multiply it, and there's more than enough. So, Father, come and just encounter our hearts today, Lord, with your presence. The table is set. We want to know you more, Lord.